Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Ruse Radio. We are back yet again with another very special guest. Special guest, please introduce yourself, my friend. What's up? My name's Gaza, a.k.a. the G-O-Double Zigzag. Now, Gaza, a.k.a. the G-O-Double Zigzag, you've been in this rap game for a minute, my friend. I think yes. people don't even realize, um, if they're not familiar with you, just how integral you are in the uh, Flint hip-hop history. So could you tell everybody a little bit about um, your origins as a hip-hop artist? Definitely, definitely. Um, I started out originally in a crew called the DLP, the Download Profits. Uh, we were basically just kind of doing talent shows back in the day, nothing too serious. Maybe made our own homemade demos in the basement. Uh, shortly after that, we joined with another local uh, Flint area group called the Triple Chaos Crew, and uh, we became Chaotic Profits, combining Download Profits and Triple Chaos. Uh, after we became the Chaotic Prophets, we started recording at Lighter Touch Studios in Flint for years. We toured. Everything was going great. Uh, around 95, we started going to Boomin' Records in Flint. We changed our name to The Juggernaut and made our first official release in 90, 1995 called Act Like You Know. Uh, from The Juggernaut, we disbanded in 95. And at that point, I joined back with my uh, Download Profits partner, Jackpot. And we became the Artful Dodgers in 1997, releasing... Uh, the Dusted World EP that year, recorded at Boomin' Records. And uh, in 98, we recorded Lazy Eyes out of Bangtown Studios on Grayson DuPont, right here in Flinttown, with uh, Farlon Randall, excellent producer. And uh, from Arful Dodgers, we toured, did many releases for, for a long time. And in 2010, I became a solo artist by just go going by Gaza. Now, how did... Um how did that transition occur from going to being in a group to being solo? Because it sounds like you were in groups for essentially yes. your whole career leading up to that. Yeah. Originally, I had the idea of wanting to do solo stuff when I was real young, but I just, I don't know if I just didn't have the confidence or I wanted some friends there to, to you know, make the energy a little more exciting or something. So I basically, I would seek out uh, other artists, other cats that were interested in hip-hop and DJing and stuff and... Uh, that led to me joining a group and had a lot of fun with groups, you know. It was great bouncing lyrics off each other, coming up with ideas. But ultimately, it was just a lot of people to organize and keep on the same page, which we talked about earlier. This is very difficult keeping a large group together. And uh, when I finally did go solo, it was a lot different than being in a group, you know. I was used to, in the Juggernaut, we had like five MCs on stage. So you had like four guys backing you up all the time, like <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan and... Uh, when I went solo, I didn't even have a hype guy anymore. It'd just be like me and a DJ back on the turntables with just me on the microphone. And it was a big difference, you know. But uh, I stepped up, and it was, well, it was a goal in my life to make a solo album. And in 2010, I released that album, Here Comes Trouble, uh, 12 songs. My first solo release, that was a big achievement for me. And after that, I kind of just caught my groove of doing shows and recording solo. And I've been uh, dropping albums ever since. Mm. Now, when you were hopping into that album, was there like a learning curve when it comes to writing? Definitely, definitely. It was a lot different than doing a 16 bars and a hook on a song. This <laughs> you're doing, you're doing carrying the whole song, yeah. yeah. I'm doing the intro, I'm doing the every verse, every chorus, I'm writing everything, making the beats. Yeah, it was a lot different. Because even in the Juggernaut and the Arfa Dodgers, we often worked with other DJs and producers to give us the beats and stuff. And when I went solo, I made the decision to be like self-sufficient, I'm going to make my own beats and, and write my own rhymes and... 
it was a big workload, but I love it, man. Music's my life, it's my passion, and uh, I wouldn't do anything else. Were you already making beats before that, or was this the beginning of you making beats? That was pretty much the beginning of my serious making beats, because uh, prior to that, like in the Boomin' Records days, I might be a guy sitting in the lab with Mr. Slade or DJ Physics, the producer we were working with, and have an idea for a loop, or, uh, you know, like, oh, I like this little guitar sample from this song. That was about the extent of my production at that time. It wasn't until... Uh, it wasn't hands-on. It wasn't hands-on, yeah, exactly. When I got older and, uh, you know, the group broke up and I started going solo, that's when I did get hands-on. Mm. And uh, I, I actually, what helped lead to that, too, is my man Farline Randall at Bangtown Studios. I would often, after Arfa Dodger's session, I would stay in his studio and just watch him make beats. And, I you know see. what I'm saying? He was kind of like a mentor to me and... Uh, you know, I got a lot of experience watching him doing sessions with other cats. and uh, It's like a free master class. Yeah, exactly. Yep. He didn't mind. He let me stick around, you know, after our session was done. And it was great. I'm thankful for that, man. He definitely inspired me big time as a producer. Him and then also another cat would be DJ Physics and DJ Cycle. Those were some cats I would see that would be digging in the crates, finding these obscure, awesome breaks and jazz breaks and making these dope beats. So I was inspired by them as well. You know, that's kind of like my trinity of production inspiration cats. Now, are these all people who have been producing since about the 90s and in yeah. that time? Yep, yep. All of them have. Uh, Farline was in a group called Faux Deep. I don't know if you're, not, if you're familiar with them. It's a real old school cat. They go as far back as like MC Breed and Dayton Family and everything. Mm. Uh, so he was doing production back with Faux Deep way back then. And then the other cat's Physics. He was a cat that was doing beats out of his basement since the early 90s out of 4-Track. And the same with DJ Psycho. He was the producer of a, a Flint artist called Overdose. And they released an album called Shock Therapy. And uh, that album was a big inspiration to me, a real dope. If you're not familiar with Overdose Shock Therapy, search oh. that, man. That's, that's an incredible Flint album. Okay. It, yep. And uh, yeah, those cats have all been producing since the 90s. And they were all like a big inspiration to me, watching them and learning from them, kind of their, their tricks of the trade, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we were talking offline also about how uh, back in the day, it's far more common to have people pulling beats off of vinyl and mm -hmm. making that into a beat on digital, whereas nowadays you get a lot of sample libraries, you yes. get uh, even websites that offer sample libraries. Yep. It's become an industry within itself. It's true. Whereas the old school way to do it would be that, would be buying vinyl, taking that vinyl, yeah. grabbing a little clip off of it, and then splicing that together into yeah. its own thing. That's really, yeah. and, and also, as we were touching on, that is the origins of hip-hop. That's no where doubt. it all started, was exactly. taking vinyl and creating yep. something new. Exactly, because they didn't have their own equipment. No one had drum machines or keyboards. They had record players. So they're going to take this little break section from this record, matching up with this one, and bam, they got their own beats to rap over, you know? Broke down drums and samples. and uh, It is totally different now. Yeah, it's like uh, it was an element of almost a gamble back in the day when you buy a stack of records. You don't know you're going to get good sounds off there. They might not be good sounds, you know? Whereas in, you know, this new era of sample packs, everything's perfectly cut and designed yeah. to, like, just slide right in there and clip and paste. And and they, they let you cheat. They tell you what the key is oh, and everything. Oh, yeah, they even give you, they'll give you the beats per minute. They'll give you the key. Yeah, everything. Back in the record days when we were just digging in the crates, you were just guessing on stuff like that. And you'd just go by ear, not knowing the key, just trying to find sounds you thought would complement each other. And, you know, but uh, but I love it. You know, like we were talking about earlier too, uh, my new album released in 2022, and I still did all the beats from uh, digging in the crates with records. You know, all analog sounds. And uh, my thing is, 
I like to find obscure, weird sounds on vinyl, stuff that other cats don't mess with. A lot of cats like to sample classic rock or Motown, stuff like that. Not me. I go for weird stuff that nobody likes, nobody listens to. And so it's like, I, I, I dare anybody to try to call me out on any of my samples because I don't use anything. No, and I don't believe in the Puff Daddy way of sampling, you know, like sampling a hit song to make a hit song. I don't believe in that. It's like, I want to sample some weird stuff of some artist that never made it anywhere and make it fresh. Yeah, you know? like uh, reduce, <laughs> reuse, recycle type yeah, of thing. I want to exactly. turn it into something even better than it was. Yes. And also something that's obscure that you can't even place it when you hear it. Yes. That's, it almost makes it something new. Yes. Like a lot of the time when people hear a sample that they recognize, it's playing on that connection in your brain, whereas yeah. you invent something out of an old sound, and now you've created a whole new experience yes. for someone. And that's often how that'll come out. They'll hear it and they'll be like, whoa, this is unlike anything I've heard. Yeah. Now, when it comes to finding those samples then, how do, you, how do you approach finding a sample, I suppose? Because, of course, you're looking for sounds that mm -hmm. aren't what people would conventionally use. Yeah. So how do you even begin that search? Do you look for records that are maybe more obscure that people haven't heard? Yeah, yep. I'll look for some weird stuff that I've never heard of the artist, maybe even sometimes from a different country, yeah. stuff like that. And uh, I'll basically I'll just go to a record store. I love bargain bins. I'll go to like the do dollar bin. That'd be I'll, a place to find that exactly, type of stuff. Exactly, stuff that's not hit songs, stuff that people don't care about. Yeah. So I'll buy a whole crate of records. I'll take that home. And I'll start going through that stack, you know, maybe I'll blaze a joint, I'll just play the whole record through and just listen to it, vibe to it until I hear something I like. And, oh, that sounded good. Let me bring that back. And then I'll, you know, take four seconds of that. And, oh, there's a couple other sounds at the end of this. And just basically just from listening to it and then experience the record as it goes, you know, it's all like just cherry picking the best sounds out of it. Like luck of the draw. Yeah. You know? Would you say that over the years your producer ear has been refined? Like, yes. is it? Because I imagine I've talked to people about this and I've, most of the people I talk to about it aren't producers, so they don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's right. like, I feel like there has to be a certain mental process that a producer would have in order to properly splice things up like that. Because not only do you hear the sample when you're listening to the vinyls, or vinyl, it's plural is vinyl. Yep. When you're listening to them, you... Not only will you hear the sound and the melody, but you have to hear how you're going to switch that up. Yes. So you're already thinking three steps ahead, essentially. True. Like, okay, I could chop on the three and yeah. then chop on the one. Like, you're yeah. thinking that way where it's true. I think that's a muscle you'd have to, you know, work out. And yeah. That's the only way you're going to be able to flex it is it if you work is. it out. Get out of here. Get out of here, kitty. Cat invasion. Yeah, she jumped over the cat door. <laughs> But yeah, it's true, man. Uh, it, it's it's tough to go in there and uh, find. It. It's like you really got to be thinking uh, three steps ahead to really be able to pull the best out of the samples you can. Because it's like a lot of cats. You could give the same loop to like ten different cats, and I think they'd all cut it differently. You yep. know what I mean, there's man, some good YouTube videos for that. Where they'll they'll test people. They'll they'll give <laughs> nice. them all the same sample, and they'll all have different beats entirely. Oh, nice. That's very cool. Yeah, and it's like my style. I want to take it out of context. I might throw it underwater. I might distort it. You know what I mean? I'm going to make it my own. I'm going own. wild. Yeah, exactly. I want it to be my own personal sound. I'm all about originality. I don't ever want to sound like the next man or be like, that's a hit song. I want to make one like that so I can have a hit song. I, 
that's not the mentality that I have, you know. No, it's not Hip-hop's a recipe for art. success. That's not a recipe for success. That's like a recipe for you want to make a quick buck, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But no. And even then, you're not going to make the most genuine art if right? you're trying to do that. I mean, yeah. it's very hard to make a, a tight beat. It's very hard to make something that sounds like somebody else. You're, yeah. If you really want to create something genuine, don't even think those thoughts. No. Yeah. yeah just you know, That's kind of my beef with this whole auto-tune craze where I feel like a lot of the rappers have that same robot voice. Yeah. And back in the day, I liked when cats had totally different voices, you know, like Tone Loke's got this deep voice. Or, uh, you know, Eminem's got this high-pitched voice, and, you know... Old Dirty Bastard got whatever he got. Yeah, he's got this crazy <laughs> voice, and it's like, and now there's nobody like that. Everybody's got that same cool, polished robot voice, and it's like, nah, I'd rather hear the rugged sound of your actual voice. Or at least, like, do something like what T-Pain does, where you take the auto-tune and you turn it into its own... Yeah. twist on your sound yeah because t-pain he's the one who made auto-tune what it is totally and when you listen to him sing regularly it blows you away you're he's like this guy doesn't even need this he's a stuff. good singer yeah he's just using it like a tool exactly and yeah. that's how you should be using yes. auto-tune it should as be used a tool. as a tool not as an identity exactly exactly <laughs> because someday somebody's gonna be like i'm tired of all these guys sound like the same robot like Somebody is eventually going to get tired of it. And you're just not going to be able to break out of that box, if you, especially if you yeah. consider your sound to be the auto-tune. Like, at some point, you're going to have a track where it just won't fit. Yeah. It just won't fit, and you'd have to figure something out. I think, though, also, that the most talented MCs are the most versatile ones. Yes. The most talented MCs are the ones that could pop out an auto-tune track, and then right after that hit you with something that could have dropped in the 90s. Right, it's true. Like, they're able to flip it on on its head like that, and that shows their <laughs> versatility and the fact that they're able to go back and forth. Right. And uh, auto-tune used correctly as a tool is dope. You know what I mean? If you're just uh, adjusting someone's singing to the right key or, you know, stuff like that, it can be used to make great music. Yeah, yeah. You know? But just when it, when it messes with originality, that's my beef. And yeah. I think it can even take away from the musicality of something when you go that, too hard on yeah, it. Margo, please don't. I'm going to have to shut that door. <laughs> I'm going to have to shut the door. She won't, she won't listen. <laughs> the cat demands entry. Yeah, yeah. She is not. She's not even budging. She's like, I don't care what you have to say. <laughs> All right. And you know what I did this time? I did it last time, too, because I'm a professional. Is I went and I actually made questions to ask you. Oh, yeah. Cool. Nice. Sometimes people come into these podcasts and they think I'm going to interview them, and it's pretty funny because I never do. <laughs> it's always like a conversation, and then they post it and they say, "Yo, I got interviewed." Nah, not really. <laughs> like, but right now we're going to actually interview you. We're going to ask you cool. real questions nice. because this is a real podcast. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you. I already asked you how long you've been in music. Now, this one we kind of know the answer to, but I don't think you said it on the mic yet. Okay. Did you rap, produce, or DJ first? Uh, I rapped first. Okay. For many years. Yep, I wrote my first rhyme in 87 and just wrote raps until about, I think, 97 is when I first started dabbling with production. So 10 years after just writing, I started messing with production. And then almost, I would say probably... Another eight years after that, around 2000, 2000, 2003, around that era is when I started DJing. Okay. And uh, DJing just kind of came out of necessity, really. Um, 
I went to U of M Flint for video production, and I really found, I was trying to get into television, actually. That was my originally, my plan. Interesting. And it was really hard to get into television. There's such a slow turnaround of people coming in and out that I decided to get into radio and get into audio production. And then by getting into radio, that kind of led into DJing. And then from that, I started getting DJ gigs, doing weddings, and I started DJing at the Checkpoint Lounge over in Flint. Uh, it's called JW's or something now, or, no, it's Daisy Duke's now. It used to be called Checkpoint Lounge. That was my first DJ gig, and, uh, and from that, I would start doing shows from DJing. Like, that would help me get shows and kind of like it all. And as far as the radio show came, too, it was out of necessity. We didn't uh, have any local radio stations that were showing love to the local artists. So I decided to make my own show and take it down to Kettering University my, uh, with their station, give them my ideas, and that kind of birthed Gaza Strip Radio. And uh, basically, yeah, I, you know, it was rapping first, and then production, and then DJing after that. Okay. Now, Gaza Strip Radio. Yeah. When we got involved with that, where did you get the idea to start a station that plays only local music? Where did that idea spawn from? It basically started in 2004. I was DJing at the Checkpoint Lounge, and then I ended up going to another gig at uh, this place called The Bank over on Saginaw Street. I got a DJ gig there, and the promoter of the Wednesday night, it was Wild Night Wednesdays or something, he uh, was doing commercials at the Kettering Station. So I had actually kind of got a plug right there to come to one of the uh, meetings or whatever. And at that same time, we were doing Art for Dodgers Strong, touring around the city. We had just won uh, Album of the Year at the DetroitRap.com Awards in 2002. And we were still having trouble getting any radio play at all on any of the Flint stations. Mm. It's like 93.7 in them days, the best they would do is like just give you a shout out on the air. Like, Art for <laughs> Dodgers in the house, that's the best you get. They would not even talk to us or play no music at all, you know? And that frustration, the Gaza Strip kind of came out of that frustration. I was just like, I'm gonna take this shit into my own hands. These radio stations around here don't want to support no, no local music. I'm gonna play our shit and I'm gonna play nothing but local music, you know what I mean? And like show them how it's done. And, uh, and I really got a great, great response from that, you know? Like I, I broke records on my station where I played artists for the first time ever and it's just like really affecting people's lives, you know what I mean? And that's what these stations around here should have been doing all along. So it's like I kind of had to show them, you know, this is how it should be done. Yes, and that's still how it should be done. Yes. I mean, it blows my mind that there are people that run a Flint radio station and don't have, like, a Flint hour. Like, just yeah. an hour. Just an hour out of a whole week? Yeah. You can't do that? Nah. Yeah. And I get the impression that it seems as if if you are down with the people who run the radio, you have much more of a likelihood of getting on the radio. Now, yeah. I'm not making any claims against anyone with that. It's just, nope. it seems as if there's an in-crowd, and that's unfortunate, yes. if you ask me. There should, that shouldn't exist. Yes. It should be the case that the people who are on the radio are in the radio not for the clout or the credit. They're in it to push local artists. Yes. Because there is so much quality local music. Tons of it. So much. And it, people it, don't know. Because mm -hmm. the same five guys are doing everything. Yeah, yeah, and when you're running the radio and you're not even playing the local art, that gives the impression that it's the same five guys uh, doing everything. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that makes it so hard to break out of that mold. And I think that it's it's undervalued. Like, if there was more of that happening, there'd be a lot more of people listening to local musicians. Yes. It's, it's the accessibility that's the problem. Yeah. So many people don't know how to promote their own material. Yeah, they don't. They don't even know where to start. That's true. Uh, like, I'll uh, come across artists online or in, you know, in life. I'll tell them, hey, your music sounded good. Send me your radio edit, and I'll show you love on my radio show. 
and I'll never hear nothing from them. Like, yeah. These cats don't even know how to put together a radio edit. Uh-huh. And it's like... Well, most of them outsource the recording, and they ain't willing to message the guy and right. say, hey, throw me a radio edit. That's true, because that's more work, more money or whatever. Yeah, that's true. And uh, it's like, I kind of took it upon myself as, to be my mission to, to seek out everybody's radio edits and to find the best music and showcase everybody good from every city in Michigan. And it's like it never was about clout to me or uh, do me a favor or I want money under the table or something. You know what I mean? It's like I did it for the culture of hip hop because there's so much dope Michigan hip hop that everyone needs to know about. And it just gets overlooked for the same crappy stuff in the pop mainstream or whatever, you know? So it's like, uh, if you know, we got to take it, it matters in their own hands type of thing. It know? really is that type of thing. Yeah. And, and it's, I have viewed myself in a similar way in the sense that, you know, when I started doing interviews, podcasts, there should be people doing what I'm doing. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of incredible to me that I think I'm the only one where you can look at my uh, catalog and see a bunch of Flint artists lined up right there. Dope, man. Which I'm proud of that because yeah. to me, it makes it more than me. It makes yeah. it not just me now. Now it's about the community that's surrounding. Not And, I, you know, I say Flint, but really I think it's representative of creativity everywhere. I think yeah. that when you allow yourself to be a hub for that creativity... You become a beacon of hope for other people because yes. people see all that creative shit right there and it just blows their mind. They, they can't believe it's so concentrated because they're yeah. not exposed to it that often. It's true. And, and that's what I've found more than anything by doing interviews and podcasts. It's like, I said this in a couple different ones I've done now, but it's so true. It's, there's so many creative people that, you know, you might think that there's one guy that's super talented and then there's 10 other people that are mediocre. But really what it's more like is that there's 10 people that are super talented and there's one guy that's mediocre, but all those talented people have no idea how to promote themselves. It's true. And so when you start looking and when you start actually diving into it, you realize the sheer talent that is just everywhere. Yes. And it makes you, at least me, it makes me want to highlight that in a way that people can understand. And a radio show is a perfect way to do yes. it. Because you're allowed to... You're allowed to Give each of those people just a couple minutes to speak their whatever it is yeah. that they want to share with people. Yeah, tell their story. Yeah. And it's like, I want to put on cats that are talented, not the cats that are the most popular. Yes. The guys that are the most popular are not necessarily the best or the most talented. And they're not the ones that intrigue me in the same way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time, for me, it's just like, I like to find somebody who's simply interesting i'm not concerned about numbers i'm yeah. concerned about how much it resonates with me so and that's how music should be music shouldn't yeah. be based upon how many plays it has no. it should be oh i heard this track and it made me feel some type of way yes that's all it is yeah and that's what art is to me like so i i try to push that stuff away as much as i possibly can like, i don't care how popular you are right. i don't care about none of that the real thing that's important is how much of what you're putting into this is translating through the art? Because there's some yes. people who are just so good at creating hip-hop, but you'd never know because they only got it on a SoundCloud that yes. 10 people have seen. I have grew up with some real dope cats that never did nothing, man. Yeah. None of them. They just didn't have that last bit of passion or finishing bone in their body to give it that last push, you know what I mean, to release it. It's like they've got demos, they're dope, they've made a lot of great songs, but unless you're willing to get out there and push it, I mean, that's part of it. You know, getting it out there and releasing it, have the courage to, you know, expose your music for everyone to, to criticize or to whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Throwing it out there, and a lot of cats, they don't have that. I don't think they have the courage to, and 
You know, that's sad. It is sad. <laughs> because is because sad. I feel like art is dope and it deserves to be heard. Everyone's individual story deserves to be heard, you know? And that's what I like about originality and individuals is I want to hear what everyone's personal story and what makes them different and their own little styles. And, you know, that's, that's what makes life creative and, uh, and interesting. Yeah, and that's what makes us different from one another. Yes. Is that none of us can make the same thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, that is... I, I've I've written songs for for some time now, and sometimes I'll you know I'll look at a song I wrote, and be like, ah, oh, that's okay, and then somebody else will come up to you and they'll be like, oh my god, it's the craziest shit I've ever heard, and mm -hmm. you know we get so caught up in what we write ourselves and whatnot, we forget we're the only people that could even make what we've made, you know, that's and true. and and that individuality and that uniqueness that comes through that genuine creation is something that is uh, super valuable. It, it is. I think that art, especially art that's done well, represents that in such a way that even the people who can look at the art kind of create something within themselves when they look at it because they derive their own meaning from it. Yeah. Um, you know, the best hip-hop songs are, are ones that allow you to kind of get your own meaning out of the story that's being told, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, you'll see a, quite a bit of that, even in a local stratosphere. Just a ton of people who are just pushing themselves into this art and um, another thing I wanted to ask you too is I saw in one of your interviews you, you said that uh, throughout time one of the lessons you've learned is that you can't help everybody when it comes to hip-hop yeah, that's are, true and how have, how have you learned that over time were, were there some people you were trying to push in yes. the game tell them oh you're so talented yes. but they just weren't gonna help themselves was it that kind of thing it was there was cats uh, you know I met over the years real dope MCs DJs where I would even like give them shows and try to get them involved, you know, uh, give them beats or whatever, give them studio time. And it's like, they still just did not have that drive or that passion to do it. And I call those people like dead weight. You can't mm. say, even though, even if they're dope and they got the talent, if they don't have that, you know, drive, then it's like, it really don't matter. You know what I mean? Dead weight's a great way. Yeah, to and it's like, I have experienced people like that where I would give them a lot of shows and it's like, I got zero return for all my effort of trying to make somebody else's dream come true. And it doesn't matter, how, like, I think I might have said this in the interview, it doesn't matter how much you want it, the other person has to want it too. Yep. You can't want it for them. You can't drag them to success. It just don't work that way. Yeah. They have to want it just as much as you. And it hurts, man. It does. Especially when they're actually talented. Yeah, oh, it's it break your heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm talking super, probably some of the dopest cats in Flint I've ever heard. Zero releases, you know what I mean? Never do shows. And it's just, like, it's sad. It makes you wonder, too. Like, yeah. how are you that good, but with no drive? Yeah, and I just, how? I, want, I want to be like, why not just release one song? Yeah. Or one project. Just try. Just give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. Just one. And it's like, nah. <laughs> I have a friend who, um, he freestyles, but he's so, that's all he's ever done is freestyling, and he's really good at it. Like, he's super fluent. He can just go. And when I met him, it blew my mind because he got me better at freestyling, and I would rap with him, and we'd have a lot of fun. Nice. And I kept telling him, like, dude, you're too good to just be filming these phone, like, that's all he'd ever do is he would film a phone video and then post that to, like, Facebook. And that was all he knew how to do was right. just film a little freestyle, post it to Facebook. And I got him a little bit out of that bubble. Like, I got him to kind of go a little harder on Instagram, got him to do a couple little things. But I told him so many times, listen, man, 
you are too good for this. You see the way I'm recording my stuff. Like, just get a cheap microphone. Yeah. I will get you started. You have a computer. I will get you started. Yeah. I'm not, I'm here to help you. I want you to do this yourself because I know that if you were recording your own material, you could just be pumping out content because you're always rapping. Like, he'd always be rapping, but yet he was only filming it in this not very marketable way. Right. And so I'm telling him, like, if you really want this to work, this is the way to do it. And I could tell him that a million times, he's still, he'll still, he'll say yes, and he'll nod, and he'll yeah. act like he gets it, but then he does the same thing. And it's like, right. I love you, man, and I know you're good at this, but we're never making it out the hood if this is yeah. what we're doing. We're just not. Because deep down, hip-hop, to me, it's music. Music is about songs. It's yes. not about challenges. It's not about a, who freestyled the best for 16 bars. I listen to songs, you know what I mean? I don't listen to CDs of guys doing challenges and shit, you know what I mean? 20 <laughs> years, shitty 20 CDs. Years, exactly, 20 years down the road, no one's going to remember these challenges or going to give a shit. But they will remember a classic song, and they will love a classic song. So it's like to me, it's more about make a good song. It's about songwriting. These challenges are cool, and it's fun, and it's like good practice. Yeah, but it's like you, you can't just do that. You got to release material and like really give it a shot. And uh, it's like I know a lot of real super talented freestyle cats. I don't know if you're familiar with Supernatural. From Sounds New York. familiar. This cat with dreadlocks, probably one of the most famous uh, freestyle cats ever. Search him online for Supernatural. Okay. But anyway, he's like world renowned, super famous for being a freestyle artist. No hit song. He released the album, it barely made any noise at all, you know what I mean? So it's like, you could be the greatest freestyler, that doesn't necessarily mean successful songwriter, artist, you know what I'm saying? Have Unfortunately. You heard, have you heard of Harry Mack? No, no, I'm not familiar with Harry Mack. He's Mac. another real good freestyler, and yeah. he's like a, he's more modern. Like okay. he's, been, uh, he's been getting better and better, and he does these live streams where he'll, he'll freestyle for 10 hours straight. Nice. Like that's what he did when he hit a million subscribers. But his written material doesn't do as well and i think yeah. it's just that i think it's that he's put so much stock into freestyling right. that it's harder for someone like him to be successful when it comes to actual commercial material yeah it, it's tough though because especially when you have somebody like that who's freestyling is what they do it's yeah. really hard to get them to break out of that mold yeah and that's you know that's fine i think uh, i think of it this way I think that music is about resonance, and I, so I mostly agree with you. I think that you could pull off something that would resonate with somebody for a long, long time, even with a challenge, even with something like I mean, that. It's possible. It's possible. But sure. it's much more difficult in that format. Yeah. And, and I, the format doesn't, um, it doesn't support it. Like, you have to force it in. Yeah. Because generally speaking, most challenges, you only get 30 seconds, 45 right. seconds. You don't really have much time to catch somebody and hook them in the same way that you would with a song. Right. Um, but I think that with the format being the way it is, it's a tough thing because you're getting a lot more of that, like, like for example, when X dropped that album, that was about 20 minutes long. Yep. That was a big thing when that happened because most of the tracks felt incomplete to somebody like you or me. Right. Like we're talking two-minute songs. Like punk rock songs, really yeah. short and sweet. <laughs> and, and not even a hook in half of them. Most of them have like maybe one verse plus a bridge maybe. Like yeah. very structurally different from what a hip-hop head would be familiar with. That's true. And I think that that is almost like a sign of the tides changing. It's very interesting which direction that's going in because I agree with you. I think that... 
I prefer songs. I prefer music that's that's extensive, that yeah. feels like an experience, not just something that feels like a snippet of something great. Yeah, like a chorus, a melody, you know what I mean? Something that's going to tug at your heartstrings. Yeah. You don't get that so much from a guy freestyling. And, I mean, I love freestyling. I freestyle, too, and it's great. And I like battling and all that, but it's like, I don't know, to me, songs are, is where it's at. Yeah, <laughs> and there's just some things you can do with the song, man. Yeah. Like. Like, we, when you write it out and you conceptualize it, we hit, we go through the first verse, then we hit that hook, and then yeah. we slide right in that second verse, and then we write You can give people goosebumps, you know what I mean? It's like, you can, it's just, you know, it's really cool that way. Yeah. You can get real creative with uh, making songs in the studio, and it's a shame that every cat out there that has that freestyle talent and that skill can't, you know... It's very it hard to translate that, though, yeah. because a lot of those guys, if that's what they do, you get them on a mic and you get a fire freestyle, and they're like, okay, can you do that again? And they can't do it again because yeah. that was just that. Yeah, that was the freestyle. That's a good point. And I, I honestly see that as a weakness. I, I wish it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because some people very rarely can pull that off. Like Lil Wayne, for example, I don't know if this is true, but this is what I've heard. He has not written a rap in like 20 years. Wow, just freestyles it, huh? Yeah, and then he raps the freestyles live. Now, he's mastered that art. He has that right. But, I mean, there's, there's lots of artists who freestyle, and then they just lose it after they've freestyled it. You won't get the same performance. How are they going to do ad-libs? <laughs> I, I kind of believe that with Lil Wayne because, uh, you know, because most freestylers have crutch words that they'll bring up a lot. And he's got he those. He says pussy popping probably on every fucking song he does. <laughs> so I think pussy popping might be his freestyle crutch word. <laughs> That's funny. I never thought about it that way. He says that a lot. He says it a lot, a lot. <laughs> if he's freestyling, though, his he's very on point with everything he says. Yeah, for sure. Like, you could have fooled me. Yeah. I, I heard, would never know. I heard with uh, Snoop Dogg's, uh, his debut album and his work on The Chronic, a lot of that was freestyle too, I heard. I believe it. And it's like, if they just got it down so smooth and it's like, he's not really super complicated, so it's like, you, I could hear that. It yeah. It could be a fresh freestyle. Yeah, and, and, and that's always been something that's been super interesting to me, just the dichotomy of that, how yeah. there's some rappers who are so dead set in freestyling, they don't even write. Yeah. And then there's other rappers who could, like... I can freestyle, but I would rarely would I ever freestyle on wax. Rarely would I ever yeah. freestyle on something I'm planning on putting out. I think I've only done it like one or two times where I freestyle on a record. It's tough yeah. because you have to hear it back and you have to go, okay, that was the freestyle. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and I'm such a perfectionist, you know. I'll rewrite and you know edit verses when I'm writing a million times. So it's like it'd be hard just to be like, here's the freestyle. I'm the That's same it. way. Yeah, I mean, when I write a song, I am so deliberate about everything I say. Me too. Yeah, and so when, when we step back and we do freestyles, I have to turn that part of my brain off yeah. in order for it to even work. Like, it would rarely be probably good enough for me, I feel. Same here. It would be too simple or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I would do it, and then I would hear it back, and I'd be like, dude, I could write something ten times better yes. than that freestyle. Like, yeah. what am I doing trying to freestyle this right now? <laughs> right. I could just write something, and it would be so much better. Yeah. It's just uh, one thing I've heard, uh, the one necessity of freestyle, and I think it's something that you could observe in like a Lil Wayne or perhaps a Snoop Dogg if he's still doing that regularly, because I could, I could imagine that. Yeah. You get a looseness in the flow. Yes. And that just uh, that is very unique to freestyling. It's very hard to emulate that in a written, because it's a result of your brain 
flowing as you're going. You're kind of coming up with words, and, and you get this yeah. natural, kind of loosey-goosey, sticky thing where, when I, at least for me, when I'm writing a written, it's so, like, I turning out they pockets as I burn it in my rocket and my urges tell me stop it be a hermit for the profit star bursting candy like every single word is right. gonna rhyme yeah and so for me to take that part back and just do a freestyle is again turning part of my brain off it's yeah. like learning to be okay with that and I can do that if we're homies and we're chilling but if you put me in a studio you better give me 20 minutes you better give me some time yes. All right, because I don't want to fuck up your song with yeah. my like. I, 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 I'm a shameless freestyler. I don't know how often you freestyle, but if I'm freestyling, I can be good. But I'm shameless. I'll say some stupid shit, <laughs> and I'm just cool with that. Yeah, most freestyles <laughs> have some silly stuff in there, I think, because it's right off the top of your brain, whatever it's around you. You know, you got to be okay with it. Yeah, it's exactly. true. Exactly, and and that is just something that is ah. I just know. I want to be like, I want to be the craziest MC in the world. I don't want people to hear me talking about my toe hairs in a freestyle. <laughs> I don't need that. Yeah, you want your your best material getting shown to everybody. Exactly. Yeah, not your every silly freestyle. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and what if that freestyle is the first thing they hear of me and they think it was a written, yeah. like, bruh, bruh, I, right. just, I try to avoid it. That's I another try. thing, man, is the first song or verse that someone hears could be the first impression you're making on them. So. Yep, and if it's that silly little freestyle... You might have lost a listener. <laughs> yeah, and that's also a great reason to really dedicate yourself in everything you do. Like, if you're writing yeah. a song, if you're recording a song, pour yourself into it because yes. you never know who's going to hear that. That's true. Yeah, it could yeah. be It could be the guy. It could be the guy you want to hear it, whoever that person may be. Yes. And if they hear it and they're thinking it's trash, well, you just missed the opportunity. Yeah. You missed the bus. That's true, man. The bus is leaving without you. Yes. And they're going to go pick up the next guy down the street. <laughs> right. So we're going to keep on going with these questions. I think that one question, we just riffed for a half hour off of it, so that was nice. beautiful. I don't know if we're ever going to get all these questions done. <laughs> Um, do you remember the first, do you remember that first rap that you wrote back in 87? Do you remember it? I do. It? it was about my mom, actually. No way. And it was a assignment for school. Yeah, it was on Mother's Day. We were supposed to write, uh, well, actually, they just kind of gave us this, uh, generic sheet to kind of write a little message or note to your mom for Mother's Day, and I wrote my mom a rap. Wow. So it's like, I was 11 years old, hip-hop had already got its hooks into me, I was hooked, and it's like, even at that young, tender age, you know what I'm saying? I already had lyrics coming out of me, and it just built from there, you know? Now, that, I always liked doing those types of things, especially when I was in, when I was in high school, I did that a lot, where I would take, I would use it as a challenge. Like, somebody would, I'd have a reason to write something, and I would use that as a template for my rap. And it was nice. real fun. Uh, I did it, the most notable example I have of it is, I was in Teen Quest, and that's like a job, uh, training program yep. and we went through the whole thing and you're supposed to give a speech at the very end and so my rapper brain's nice. just going I'm like dude <laughs> yep. I could rap this and I only had like a day or two to write it because we had to present the speech in front of the classroom within like the next like 48 hours so I write the whole thing I remember I was finishing it right before I went up there and what was so fun about it is you had like 10 things you had to mention in your speech so okay. I got a bulletin list like uh, bullet points of each thing I gotta mention in my rap and 
that is a challenge within itself. It yeah. exists on YouTube, a Team Quest testimony. And I'll tell you, when I went in front of that crowd of like a thousand people at that ceremony, which is still my biggest audience, I went up there and I, I was luckily the last person to go. And White Boy just starts spitting bars out of nowhere. <laughs> that whole room erupted. And nice. so there's a certain power in that, in taking hip-hop and, yeah. and putting it in places that it just, you wouldn't expect it to be. I'm sure your yeah. mom was real surprised when <laughs> yeah. you came home with those raps. <laughs> Probably like, what? Yeah. What even is this? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, What'd you do true. with my son? Yeah. <laughs> it was all due to my older brother, man. He's five years older than me, and he was just, you know, he was going to, you know, high school, and he was down with the hip kids. And uh, I remember he brought this cat over our house, Eddie Maldonado, and he was the first B-boy I ever seen breakdance, mm. which further made me love hip-hop after seeing somebody breakdance. And uh, so my brother, he was really the one that got me into it at the, at the young age like that. That uh, that I'd, I'd be writing a rap in in '87 is because my brother played me all the classics, you know, like Curtis Blow and Treacherous Three, and uh, you know the Fat Boys, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Kumo D, all them, all those classic artists. I got exposure to them, and that's basically you know what got me into it at that young age. Did it influence your style even then? Like, can you look back at those earlier raps and see oh, yeah. those uh, influences bleeding into yeah, that? Yeah, I think so, man, because uh, even as far back as my, you know, young age, uh, I was even trying to be as creative as I could with, like, metaphors and similes. Even way back then, they were a lot more simple than something I'd write now, but I could see the potential in those early raps for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's that's an interesting thing, too, to look back at your own art, because I, the way that I look at that, too, you could probably look at something even five, ten years ago, and... It's crazy how we evolve as people, mm -hmm. um, and we don't even realize we're doing it. I think artists get a special glimpse at that because they can look back at a song they made a couple years ago. Yeah. And you're so in the moment when you make a song, you're so invested in whatever you're writing. So to go back and look at something that you wrote, it almost, for one, it almost puts you back in that place. But for another thing, it gives you perspective on just how different you are from back then. Yeah. Uh, it's real fun for me to look back at my earliest songs because in my memory, they're the most fire tracks I've ever heard. And then I hear them again, I'm like, wow, I was not on point, man. I, I thought I was on my game. I was not. I imagine all your 11-year-old raps are, are a lot less fire than you would have thought they would be going back and reading it. You're like, okay, yeah, all right. I pretty simple. Bat with cat right there. That was good. Right. You're right. That's true. But, I mean, uh, there's, there's a certain evolution you get with artists that you you get with everybody but we're at least able to pinpoint things we yeah. can go back and we can look I find at it, it interesting artists too that you can uh, go back to you know if I, I did a song 10 years ago I can go back and listen to my voice what it sounded like 10 years ago and I can kind of get a, a feeling for the way I was at that time and I think that's interesting about artists that you can do that it makes you it gives you perspective for yeah. real because it, it, it makes you think about yourself now and just how far you've come from that moment yeah um, just naturally that occurs because it's such a strange thing Thing. It's almost like looking in a sideways mirror. You yeah, know? Like, that's what, true. It's not you, but it is you. Yeah. What am I looking at here? <laughs> um, how did you incorporate your love of comic books, superheroes, and martial arts into your second release? Nice. 
Scorpion Dragon 76. Actually, that's my third release. Oh, my, was it? Yep, my second solo was Zigzag in 2013. Uh, Scorpion Dragon came out in 2017. Okay. My third release. And yeah, I, I grew up a huge fan of martial arts from watching Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, Jackie Chan, all those classic films, uh, Five Deadly Venom, Shogun Assassin, and then uh, and comic books too. I used to go to Amazing Bookstore over there on Kersley Street ever since I was a young kid. And uh, I just loved it, man. I love superheroes. I love the... Uh, the power they had, and uh, to me, the rappers of the early era, like L Cool J, Kumo D, these cats felt like superheroes to me, you know what I mean? That was kind of like the musical equivalent of Spider-Man, the Incredible Hulk, and Thor, and all these cats, and, and I, you know, I, music was kind of my way of bringing it all together. I love the comics, I love the movies, I love the, the music, and it's like it all kind of meshed together where I could, I'd hear cats, you know, mention Marvel comics or superheroes in their lyrics, and I just loved that when I was younger, and I knew that's something I wanted to do. And then uh, having this, you know, passion and love for comic books all these years, I always wanted to come up with my own comic book cover, and that kind of led to the Scorpion Dragon 76 cover. I basically got Scorpion Dragon 76 because I was born in 1976. It was the year of the dragon, and I'm a Scorpio, so Scorpion Dragon oh. 76, and that's kind of my alternate, or my, uh, you know, alter ego, get me mad and I'll transform into the Scorpion Dragon 76 and burn your ass up. You're going to go Hulk on <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just basically, I felt the same way about martial arts, too, that those cats were kind of like superheroes and like larger-than-life figures with, with this power and... Uh, you know, cats like Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and those cats, you know, they really inspired me a lot as far as much as the rappers and as much as like the comic book art and everything and just all that creativity, man. I've always you know, like been drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah. But how did you take that idea and incorporate it in the album then? Um, basically, I wanted to look at it like I'm the Avenger for hip hop, here to save it type of thing, where there's so many cats that are just like about greed and politics, and they're just dragging it down to the mud, whereas they're now coming as the superhero, and I'm going to save it, and you know, lift it back up, and use my power, the microphone nunchucks, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> microphone nunchucks. Yeah, and the scorpion dragon, you know, don't, takes no prisoners, it's here to stand up for hip hop, and... I basically kind of wanted to, you know, have like my own alter ego, kind of my own Spider-Man, Peter Parker thing. You got to get a graphic designer on this. Yeah, yeah. I'm That's got to be a real book right there. That'd be dope, man. Because you got this pretty fleshed out. Yeah, I uh, actually I collaborated with uh, Flint Comics' own Randy Zimmerman. I don't even remember Flint Comics. That's Randy Zimmerman. Yep. I ha don't know if I've ever interacted with him, but I know I've seen his name around Facebook quite a bit. Yeah, real famous comic artist from the area. He did uh, this famous comic called The Anniverse. It was pretty big in, uh, in the 80s and 90s. He's done tons of stuff around town, too. He did, like, the sign for Don's Donuts. And, no way. Or Don, Donna's Donuts, I mean. And uh, Yep, and then they published Flint Comics for, I think, 10 years or something like that. And uh, that's where I kind of caught wind of him. And I brought him on board to draw that cover, and he just killed it for me. And yeah. So big shots out to Zim, you know, great artist. Huh. Wow. And, and how, how'd you meet him, then? Uh, basically, I met him at Weeby Comics, which is an old comic store in Flint. I forget what road it was on. This is like way back in the day. It's not even around anymore. But he he worked in Weeby Comics, and they published Anniverse out of their store. So that right there was a big inspiration to me, seeing a local cat making his own comic with his own store. Wow. And then, like, that was when I was a little kid. I remember I even had him sign my copy of Anniverse and stuff. And then fast forward, you know, all these years later... When I decided I wanted to make a comic book cover, I'm like, that's the guy I'm going to. This yeah. flat cat, this local cat that's been doing it, and he killed it for me. Wow. And it, his 
roots are right there. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. been here since the jump. That's interesting, too, that he was pushing his own comic book yeah. at the comic book store. Yeah, late 80s, Weeby Comics. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and you liked comics before they were cool, it sounds like. It's true, yeah. It's cool since, now. Ever since I was a young kid, man, I've always been into comic books, and uh, it is really cool now. It's like I've been going to Comic-Con since the early 2000s when it was like 20 bucks to get in, and it's just a bunch of tables. Now you go, it's like $50 to get in. They got superstar movie stars there with bank teller lines in front of them. And oh, really? It's, it's changed that much it's over? It's changed a lot. Like, comic book culture, it's lined up pretty much with, like, the progress and success of these Marvel movies, you know what I mean? That's The what bigger they get, the bigger Comic-Con gets. And it's pretty nuts, man. And it's like, deep down, my younger self loves it, though, that I'm driving down the street and I'll see, like... Iron Man sign or something, you know what I mean? Or iron, kids wearing Iron Man clothes. Or and that was your childhood awesome. dream. Yeah, exactly. I got, <laughs> wow, as a young kid, I never would imagine everyone knew who Iron Man was or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's pretty dope. That's kind of so. what I was thinking, too. Like, if you drop that album in 2017, it's much more of a timely time to do it yeah. than if you did it back in the early thousands. That's true. now people get what you're going for yes. with the superhero thing. Yeah. I think... I think um, I think it's real cool that people have uh, opened up to all that. I Me think too. comic books are their own format yeah, of creativity. There's is. a lot you can do there. It's a beautiful art form, man, that a lot of people for a long time, they wanted to like, dismiss it as it was something juvenile for kids or dirty or something. Like and cartoons. Yeah, you know, and it's like it totally isn't. There's like beautiful artwork, there's amazing storylines and dialogue, and you can just see from these movies that are getting made from these storylines, it's some pretty amazing shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's stuff that everybody can understand. Like yeah. we can develop our own meanings for it. I mean, it's like yeah. what I was saying about art. I think that the Marvel stories, one thing they do super well, comic books too, it's almost like a, it's almost like reading the Bible. Like, you're, you're reading it, but you're not getting, it's not at face value what it means. It's almost like the morals behind the stories yeah. are actually what's being told. Right. There's always something that's like a, a, the deeper meaning in a lot of those superhero movies yeah. and a lot of those uh, comic books. And a big thing that's always been a running thing with all of them is that to accept people in all shapes and forms and sizes, no matter who they are. I mean, that's yeah. kind of been Stan Lee's thing. That's true, man. He's yeah. way ahead of his time. Yeah, for uh, real. Like I heard he based the X-Men on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. No way. Yeah, the, yeah Professor X is based on Martin Luther King Jr. And then uh, Magneto is based on uh, Malcolm X. That is a fun fact yeah, right there. There's all this underlying civil rights movement, you know, things in the X-Men that a lot of people aren't aware of. And, wow. Yeah, Stan Lee spoke against racism a long time ago, and I'm sure it made him probably unpopular with a lot of people but it's like uh if you're gonna go against these bigots and these jerks and assholes in the world it's like you're gonna make some people mad you know yep. stand up for what's right and god especially back then yeah exactly so god bless people for like like stan lee rest in peace you know the guy was a legend and he definitely his morals and his good thoughts and feelings are just getting passed on i feel like through these movies and through these comics luckily and yeah that's a good thing that's a good side effect from all this is that stan the man was involved stan the man <laughs> yeah for real r.i.p r.i.p definitely he's the mind behind the madness yeah um i you said it already and i think it's a great point to kind of dive into just a little bit what is it about the mcs back in the 90s that made them uh, have this kind of superhero essence to you. What do you think it is that they had then that they just don't have now? I think it was like the uh, the willingness to be over people's heads and to be pushing the envelope with vocabulary and concepts where nobody was dumbing down to try to appeal to a 13-year-old girl to sing along with them in them days, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they wanted to sound futuristic and complex 
And that's what made them incredible to you. It's like you were listening to a superhero. You listening to this godlike character that was like super smart and intelligent where nowadays it's like people are dumbing their stuff down and they're trying to make play it safe and not use too big of words and not be too weird or, or complex where I feel like that's missing now. It's like uh, back in the, or the earlier days, it was more about you had to stand up and prove your skills or you'd get laughed out of the, the rhyme circle type of thing. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't have the skills and back it up with sharp lyrics, a powerful voice, like mumbling back in the day, mumble rap. A dude like that would have got laughed out of the club. Like, nobody would have liked it. It's like, you got these cats with, like, powerful, you know, articulate voices and amazing vocabulary, and then there's some guy mumbling about selling pills and shit. Like, come on, dude. This dude ain't even in the same category. And it's like, that's really hurting from nowadays. I think cats got to stop being afraid to be different and stop playing safe and being simple for the kids. And it's like... Go over their heads. Do some crazy shit. Time travel. You know what I mean. Yeah. Go to another area. Go above and beyond. You know their normal comprehension, and that's that's a good thing. I think it's like why play it safe? Why try to make something dumbed down? You know, it's like that's not real art. It's like art should be pushing it further, not dumbing it back down. And it's like those cats early on, man. I feel like they just really had the professionalism and the drive to be themselves and to show how strong and powerful they could be. And I think it's uh, I think it's funny that back in the day there was cats like Notorious Big and Big Pun and cats like this, and now everything's like little or baby or, you know what I mean? It's like- <laughs> Like they shrunk. Yeah, it's like it's like now, every, now nobody wants to hear from the man, the big man, they want to hear from the little baby. And wow. You know what I mean? I never would've Maybe that's that. a coincidence, but it kind of like lines up to me with the Makes way things sense. are. Yeah. Yeah, and and there's a lot of lils now. You yeah, don't see any bigs. Yeah, the bigs are gone, man. Big Sean better watch out. Big He's crit. the last one left. Yeah, and big, big crit. Yeah. Big crit and Big Sean, yeah. you are the last bigs around. You guys better be careful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're numbered. Your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. There's littles everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and when if the little guy gets older, or a guy that's young or something gets older, will he stop being little or young? Yeah, that's true. Like, Bow Wow, doesn't he yeah. just go by Bow Wow now? <laughs> Middle Wayne. <laughs> Is it going to be Big Wayne someday or Old yeah. Wayne? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that would go. I don't know. I don't know if they grow up at all. I think they always stay Lil forever. Yeah, you know, I think I, so too. I don't think you can ever change. Once, you, once you're Lil Xan, you're Lil Xan. That's just what it is. Pretty there's, much. There's, you know what, though? That'd be a great marketing move if you went from Lil to Big. Yeah, I right? promise you. Like, if Lil Xan changed his name to Big Xan... Bruh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that makes some headlines. And hey, you heard it here first, folks, okay? Yeah. You heard it here first. Um, when it comes to, I mean, yeah, I, I would say, too, do you think that the transition from, like, old school hip-hop to new school hip-hop, the newer stuff that's around nowadays, um, do you find that... Is there any newer hip-hop that you do think carries that torch well? Like, yeah. Is there a decent amount out there? I think so. Cats like Big Crit, I think, are, are pushing the original dope style. Cats like Run the Jewels, I think, kind of have that Oh, classic, they're great. You know, they're real lyrical, even political, you know what I mean? Which yeah. is really kind of unheard of nowadays. 
Uh, cats like Kendrick Lamar, I think, are real dope. He's still real lyrical, real creative. But they're also, both those artists you just mentioned are pushing the bar. Like, they do push the yeah, game in they a certain push direction. It, yeah, they're not playing it safe. No. It's like Kendrick got, well, he lucked up and got like a couple hit songs, had Rihanna on a hook or whatever, but he's not doing no stupid, simple mm -mm. kid, a 13-year-old kid sing along with me shit. Hell no, he's not. He's doing some real crazy, wild, complex lyrical stuff. So yeah, cats like him, long as there's cats like him, it's like hip-hop's still live and well, you know? Yeah. And then in Detroit and Flint, there's a lot of real sharp lyricists that are sticking true to the roots, and they're not playing this game either, you know, that are sticking to the top lyricism. And, it's a great point. Looking yeah. around locally would be the best place to find yeah. genuine creativity that's not trying to be something else. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of that in, like, local circles, because yeah. that's where a lot of those people... Yeah, it is the case, I imagine, too, that when you get more success, it becomes harder and harder to continue pushing that envelope because yeah. you're incentivized not to. Um, if you're successful, you feel like your success is at risk if you move too far in a certain direction. And I imagine sure. that's something that a lot of these people face when they haven't been known to push that bar. Yeah. Like, it can only get worse. I heard uh, a great take on Elon Musk where somebody was saying, like, you know, Elon Musk didn't get in a position of power and then start saying all these uh, things, calling people out and saying things other rich people wouldn't say. He's just always been that way, and then he got in a position of power. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that we need leading the rap game. We need the people yes. who are willing to push that bar, who are willing yeah. to go and, like you said, go over people's heads. Yeah. That's a great way to put it because... I think a lot of it is, like you said, people hold back and they think, oh, well, people wouldn't understand if yes. I were to say this, and so I should put it more simply. Whereas it's more rewarding as a listener if I am the one to understand. Yeah. It's as, it's as if I've accomplished something. Right. That's way better than making, like, uh, an easy pop song. Right. Because you're able to hook, hook people in a way that... They would never be hooked otherwise, and it makes them feel like they accomplished something. I mean, some of the best lines I've ever heard in rap songs were ones that went over my head ten times. Right. And then I heard it, and I got <laughs> it, and I felt like, oh, my God, how did I not catch that yeah, before? that's the best kind, man. Yep. You go back, and you're like, oh, shit. Or, like, you realize they were doing some crazy motif for the last, like, eight lines, so you'll connect a bunch of dots you didn't yes. connect before. Like, oh, he said soap, and then he said bath, and then he, like, just random things right. where it's like... You're so in your own head when you're writing that you leave these pieces for them to find when they listen. I think that that type of songwriting is invaluable. It I think, is. And, and there's levels to the shit. There's just some people who are better songwriters than other people. Yeah. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah. Um, I, I would never blame someone like Drake for not writing his own material, for example, because Drake's got a great voice, he's got a great sound, um, but he gets a lot of flack for not writing his own stuff. I think, I guess, as an old school MC, how do you feel about people not writing their own material? Yeah, I mean, some cats pull it off. Like, Dr. Dre is a good example where we know that someone's writing this, his shit and he delivers it good and it's not that big of a deal. But then again, he's more of a producer MC, not an MC producer, where it's like he's more known for his beats and putting on other cats. Whereas Drake isn't a producer, Drake's an artist. So to me, I don't know, it just it comes off a little fake that you can't write your own stuff. I agree. In the rap world, it's like you almost have to have pride of coming up with the stuff on your own, not needing outside help to look good. And Drake's a big problem to me because he puts on his persona like he's kind of thug and I came from the bottom when he was really a child <laughs> actor from Canada. 
I mean, so I'm not surprised he don't write his own lyrics when he came up as a child actor and he's rich and famous before he even became a rapper. Yeah, where are you going to get the uh, struggle from if you never yeah. had it? Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm not surprised he ain't coming up with these great lyrics because he didn't come up like that. He was rich and probably pampered yep. from Canada. Yeah. So it's like, he don't know about all this gangster stuff. And then once he hooked up with Lil Wayne and got them guys writing and producing for him, they kind of created this whole new persona of Drake that everyone fell in love with. And... And it's like, for entertainment purposes, I mean, he's not hurting nothing. He's making music that a lot of people like. But as a diehard hip-hop head, and I'm judgmental of everybody's shit, this guys <laughs> he's pretty weak. You know what I mean? He's got a good voice, but he's almost, to me, like a pop artist. He's like a Montel Jordan or R. Kelly or something. Yeah, he's rapping a little, but he's also a, more of a singer, ladies' man type of guy. Not a hardcore lyricist, you know what I mean? Yeah, I look at Drake as a brand. Like I really he, do. He, like a brand, exactly. Mm -hmm. He knows what he's doing. He was a child actor. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. You know, he's successful by building his brand. And yeah, but uh, definitely for me, I'm not going to bump anybody that's not writing their own lyrics. You know, I feel like you have to do that. If I consider you dope, it's because you're writing your own shit, coming up with your own music, you know. Uh, not a puppet, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're getting played by some guy to look a certain way or whatever. I'm not feeling that. For me, I. I in the modern sense, I, I'm willing to put up with those people. I'm willing to listen to their music. But it's like what you said. I don't look at them as MCs. Yeah. Like, I like what they made, and I think it has value for yeah. what it is. But when I think of MCs and rappers, I think of people who hear a beat, and then they sit down, and they're listening to, like, listening to where those hits are. They're yes. listening to where everything's supposed to be, and then they're allowing their creativity to guide the song. Like, it's it's an experience that you get to have as a musician yes. or as a songwriter. You, you get to explore that, whereas if someone else is writing your music, you lose that whole yeah. part of it. And also, this is kind of lost on the modern rap scene. Rap is supposed to be competitive. Yeah. It's supposed to be, yo, I'm going to write and rap the most fire bars. Yeah. I want you to write and rap the most <laughs> fire bars, too, and That's we'll true. see who's better. Yes. Like, I'm, we're both bringing our A game, and it's coming from us alone. Like, there's something within rap that's with not within any other genre when it comes to, like, the individual creativity that you'll get. Even rock bands, they don't have that principle. They don't have an idea of, like you have to write your own bars and become the best. Like, no, yeah, that doesn't true. exist in rock. That's true. Whereas in rap, it's like, if you're a rapper and you can't, like, if, if I had Eminem in front of me right now and he asked me to spit a 16, I got to be ready to spit a 16. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of more modern rappers kind of go, like, they, they don't see it that way. They think it's a lot more about, you know, what you get out of the studio. Like, they wouldn't right. even rap in front of most people. Like, they don't look at it like that. And... It's just, it's sad to me because yeah. for me that if you can pull bars out your ass and it's just straight fire and you know how to do that, you have an edge up on the competition. Yeah. You're a true MC. Yeah, and, and it's like uh, if you're a rapper, there's fifty, you know, fifty percent you're writing your shit, fifty percent you're performing it. So if you're not doing fifty percent of your work, 
You're, you're half, half a rapper. rapper. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> half ass. All yeah. a rapper does is write their own shit and perform it. So if you're not writing anything and you're only performing, I mean, you're Millie Vanilli. I mean, you're, yeah, you're a brand. <laughs> you're, you're a brand. brand. Yeah, you yeah. might as well be Celine Dion or Mariah Carey singing somebody else's song or something. You know what I mean? Vanilla Ice. Ever since he dropped one song, he's been a brand ever since. Yeah, that yeah. man, poor Just guy. Doing the same song over and over and over again, <laughs> different versions. You might see him in like a Mark Wahlberg comedy movie every now and then nowadays, but <laughs> right. that guy's not up to much. I'll tell you. And maybe if he wrote his own material, he could be. Yeah. He could be. Because the thing is also about it is that you're not relying on other people. And so you're oh, you always have that in you. You always have yes. that going for you. Like, I never have to worry about, oh, this guy's got to write my song so that way I can do it. Yeah. No, 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 no. You just watch me. Like, watch me. Give me 20 minutes. I'll stay right here. Exactly. And we'll have, a, we'll have a radio strong right there. I'll put it down for you. Yeah. Because I'm capable of such a thing. Yeah. And that's a powerful thing. You know, even to be able to claim that with confidence, yeah. it takes a real rapper because there's a lot of people who they might say they got some fire tracks, but like they don't have for one the catalog to back it up for another thing. It's like I think that there's a whole uh, you know, there's a superstardom to it. And like like those guys in the nineties. They had that superstardom. They had yeah. that, like, they would come at you yeah. with this conceptual stuff, and they were able to do it consistently. You never had to worry about, like, you know, I don't imagine they were even worried about what their image might be if they release a certain track or blah, yeah. blah, blah. And they like, weren't trying to get a club song or, you know what I mean? They were just doing their songs. Exactly. It's like, exactly. as soon as someone starts thinking that way of, I'm this is my club song, this is my love song, it's like... Just do your songs. Don't try to make something to appeal to a certain thing. It's just make your music. And it's like what we were saying earlier, too. The what you create when you go to create something that way will not be as genuine no. as if you just approached it with a clean slate. Yep. You know, if you go in trying to make a club hit, you might make an okay track, but you're not going to make the track you would have made if you just, you know, you went in, you had a melody, and then over that melody you hear something else, and then those things start to come together, and now we have the gears turning, whereas otherwise you're like, okay, well, what melody would sell right here? Like, what right. would people want to dance to? <laughs> I just can't even begin to think in those terms. No, it's like mean, some marketing office or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's funny because we're both the same way when it comes to, like, songwriting. So it's difficult for us to even, I'm sure, imagine what it's like to write a song that way because yeah. I, I couldn't even do it. I mean, if you gave me a song and told me to sound like somebody, I would struggle a lot yeah. because I don't want to sound like anybody else. No, I wouldn't even want to attempt it. It's like, yeah, that's just crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not little Uzi Vert. Who do you yeah. think I am? Um, what do you love most about hip-hop? What is it about hip-hop that draws you in? I love hip-hop that it, you know, it gives me a way of expressing myself, you know. Nothing makes me feel better than when I'm in the studio working on a song, and it's like I really would put all my heart and soul and feel exhausted when I'm done recording. And it's just like a great feeling of getting that, that pressure and that release, and it's always been that way. It's, it's been like therapy for me, writing lyrics and, and, and recording songs, and then getting to go out on a stage and share it with people and have people enjoy it and cheer. It's just really like it's the best therapy there is, you know what I mean? And just like the love and the unity is really what helped draw me into hip hop as well is like the culture, you know, the b-boys, the graffiti writers, the MCs, the DJs, the beat makers, the beatboxers all coming together and it was just kind of this cool new art form and uh, it was like the first 
form of music that I really felt a part of, you know what I mean? I didn't come up around a lot of rock and roll people or country people or classical music people. I came up around my brother and he introduced me to hip hop and it just felt right to me at a very young age. It just was exciting and it was interesting. It challenged me and it just, you know, it was easy to fall in love with, you know what I mean? At a very young age, it was, like I said, it was the first time I felt a part of something. And to this day, I'm a little older now and there's been new cats coming in, times have changed, but I still feel more of a part of it than I, than I ever have. It's like who I am, you know what I mean? I'm gonna do music and I'm gonna do hip hop till the day I die. It's not about making money. It's not about age or clout. It's just about making music, making my mark in the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Being able to express myself and uh, tell my story. I find that with songwriting and uh songwriting in general i find that there's something about writing a song and putting those words down i often communicate things in a way that i find to be more resonant than if i were to even just say it um yeah and i think part of that is just the way i write but another part of it is it, it's allowing you're kind of it's like writing stuff that you would want to listen to yourself yes. you know like you and I are both people who when we listen to hip-hop we're looking for something that's gonna challenge us yep. and so when I write something I'm able to get some kind of release out of that because I'm, I'm challenging myself I'm pulling something out that didn't exist before and then I can listen to that track over and over again and just pick out little bits and pieces and learn for myself and I think that 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 release right there is invaluable i mean there's yeah. just something that's totally totally um it's almost like you, you know you feel like you're levitating when you write a song yeah. and it just comes out like it almost feels like it was supposed to be that way like it was not there and then it was but it always was there in some type of way like yeah. the 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 things just fall into place in such a way i was talking to somebody recently and they were saying that they didn't have a phone and they didn't have a computer, and so they've kind of been offline for a while, and he's saying, yeah, I just feel kind of crazy. And I, that's how I, I started talking about the same thing we're talking about now. I said, well, dude, for me, I know, because he was a musician too, I said, for me, writing music and putting stuff out there is how I combat that. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who create, you'll find that they couldn't do, like there's a reason that they make music, and it's because for them, that is the best release they can get. That is the most genuine form of their reality. They're able to achieve something when they do that that is more fulfilling than anything else. Yes. I mean, I can safely say that when I write a song and I just hear that back and it all fits together, to me, I've accomplished something greater than anything else I could have done in that past hour. Like yeah. it, it felt like I used my time in the best possible way. And also, it's just there's so much value in that little pocket. There's so much value in those 60 seconds, three minutes, however long the song is, um, because it's an infinitely giving thing. I can perform it again. I can play it again. I made it, so it came from me. There's, there's all these different things that um, just I think there are different avenues to go down that you just don't have if you never do yeah. and so the best thing you can do is just create of course uh, rather than like think about creating just do it and see what happens later yeah um, but yeah there's just something so fulfilling about it it is I agree. Man. it really is and it's also therapeutic like almost like talking to a psychiatrist where 
if it's something that's really bothering you, a problem or something, expressing it into a song and getting it off your chest and throwing it out in the world can help you get over it. And I, that, that could be the most effective way to do it that. It can. And yeah. it's like, I don't know what it is about that, but just saying it out loud and, and putting it out there for everyone to hear just lets it just get off your chest and the stress goes away. I've had a few instances where I did songs about like a negative topic and I flipped it that way and... You know what I mean? It really helped me. <laughs> and what's interesting about it is you're even helping other people at that point. That's true, too. Yeah. Because yeah. often other people will be struggling and going through the same types of things. Very and good point. They can hear your song, and that, to them, helps them through it. And so it, it serves more purpose than even just helping you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Music's a beautiful thing, boys and girls. It is, man. That's it's so I love beautiful. It, <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite old-school rapper? Favorite old-school rapper? Hmm. It would definitely probably be in the realm, the Def Jam era, like LL Cool J, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, that era. So probably LL out of, out of if I had to pick one out of that era, probably LL. But it's definitely those cats. You know, I'd say like LL Cool J, KRS-One. Well, actually, no, I'd say my number one favorite from the older era would be Rakim, from the Eric B and Rakim. Because that's a cat that just, when I heard Microphone Fiend and Follow the Leader, that's a dude that was just, he sounded futuristic and above everyone's head. He sounded way ahead of the time than everyone in the 80s, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, like, to this day, I feel like cats are just now catching up with him and shit. So, yeah, definitely Rakim. That's who I would roll with. Because he was ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah, the, rock, the R. <laughs> that's the man. <laughs> he was up here in the 2020s with us. Yeah. Back in the 80s. <laughs> uh... Oh, uh, when you were in the Chaotic Prophets, mm -hmm. um, a.k.a. the Juggernaut, a.k.a. all the other <laughs> names we yeah. went through, uh, where did you guys go when you were on your little tour? Did you go state to state to state, or how did that go? Because I saw that you guys were touring back then. Yeah, we uh, basically did mostly the Midwest. We played Flint, uh, Genesee County area, some surrounding areas. We do a lot in Detroit, and then basically Chicago, Ohio, maybe Indiana, just pretty much the Midwest was pretty much how we toured in those days. And then as Artful Dodgers, we actually got on a couple bigger tours after Juggernaut broke up. We kept going, and we did the 2004 uh, Vans Warped Tour, which no was a pretty way. big deal. Yep, we were on the Code of Cut stage with Nonfiction, Lords Brooklyn, a bunch of these other dope cats, and uh, we actually got to go over to the East Coast for that and huh. play in New York and uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, you toured with the whole thing? We, yep, yep. Well, actually, we just did a week. We did a week of the tour. That's still not bad yeah, at all, Yeah, it was though. great. And then we did the Live Lyrics Tour, which went down to, like, uh, Milwaukee, and through Chicago. Our manager used to stay in Chicago, so we actually played in Chicago quite a bit in those days, too. And yeah, But I definitely miss touring, man. I can't wait for all this pandemic bullshit to clear up and start hitting the scene again. Yeah, I think we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, I, think I think we are so getting too, there. Uh, because, I mean, that, to me, as an artist, has been one of the biggest, like, punches in the heart is just losing live shows. Oh, because, to me, that is where a lot of the genuine connection happens, especially from artists to artist, but also artist to audience. Yes. A lot of those people that are going to stick with you are people who will see you live and you'll resonate with them in such a way. Yeah. It's a lot harder to catch people digitally in it such is. a way. I mean, and, we, and we, we were talking about this very beginning of our conversation before we even started recording, just the difference between being in person and then doing things yeah. online. I think that that, too, is a big example of, of that is the people you see live, the music you hear live. I mean, it's undeniable that music is a different experience yes. when you hear it live. That's I mean, true. that's just for sure. There's even 
plenty of music that I don't enjoy regularly, but I know for a fact if I saw it live, I'd be like, oh, I get it. Especially country music. Yeah. I've never been a big fan of country, but I know country concerts are fun. Yeah. I know they are. Because I'm sure once you see the actual live band up there doing their thing, you probably get a more of an appreciation for it. Yeah, you just get what it's there for. Yeah. You understand, and you see I people feel feeling some type of way. There's something in the atmosphere that's happening yeah. where if you're just listening to a track on your own, it's just you and the track. So yeah. I think that there's a big, big difference when it comes to live music and regular music. And for me, I've always loved being on a stage because I get a certain energy on a stage that I don't think I get anywhere else. It's I true. swear to God. It's addictive. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is. Because there's just something about owning that moment and having your little 15, 20 maybe 40 minute slot yeah. where you're just up there going and it's all you. Yeah. Um, the, you feel a certain power in that, that you just don't get anywhere else. And yeah, man, That's true. I, I agree with you. I can't wait for live music <laughs> to come back. It's going to be nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be putting together a show real soon. I tell you. And I, the, the, what I did in my last show that I did, and I'm going to do it again at this one is we're going to do a giveaway. Cause I learned giveaways are a good touch. You yep. save that for the very end. You just tell people, hey, we'll do a random drawing. Someone who came to this show tonight is going to win $100. Nice. Good idea. Everybody stays till the end. Yeah. That's the real thing. Because <laughs> yeah. at live shows, people say, see who they want to see, and they go home. That's a big problem. Yeah. yeah. The, the crowd that will come with a group will often leave as soon as that group's done. Yeah. Not stay and watch everybody. Yeah. But you trick crazy. them. You go, all right, guys, well, who wants money? You're on, yeah. You're on to something there, man. That's, that's good. I like that. I'm going to try that, that, too. That's a pro tip, man. I'm telling you. You MC to MC, steal my idea, yeah, please do. That's good, I like that. Because we need to get people to stay at these damn shows. All the that's way to the, the end, David. Everybody deserves a crowd. Yeah, not yeah. Just, not just the first couple guys. Yeah, just the first couple guys. And I also learned uh, from putting together shows, band goes last. Band goes last. Yeah. You never put the band first because the band draws people, okay? And when you have the band go first, everybody that came for the band dips. That's yeah. just what happens. This is just the, like he said, all right? Yeah. Stay for everybody. This is an everybody thing. <laughs> it's for true. all of us. It's for the family. Uh, so, man, I think I already went through most of my freaking questions here. Nice. We're great. We're doing. We're doing it like Excellent. you've just been kind of naturally hitting on most of the stuff I wanted to ask about. You're a professional. You should start a podcast. <laughs> uh, we got Gaza Strip Radio, but one thing I wanted to ask you, a couple things about it actually, is when and where can we listen? When and where can we go and find Gaza Strip Radio? All right, Gaza Strip is every Friday, 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. on WKUFLP Flint, 94.3 FM. So if you're in the Flint, Genesee County area, you can listen on the FM dial, 94.3 FM. And then for everybody else in the world or everyone around here, if you want to listen online and stream it, it's WKUF.FM. And you can stream, uh, stream the show on your mobile device, your computer, or whatever. So it's every Friday, 3.30 to 5.30. Okay, cool. I used to do it every Monday and Tuesday for several years, and but I uh, decided I wanted to start trying to do something on the weekend. And well, why'd you why'd you switch? Uh, just because I wanted to try the weekend, basically. I just See if that slot was better, more effective? Yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted to be there for kind of start the festivities of the weekend type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, I imagine more people would tune in on the weekend. Yeah, I feel that way, too. And at 3.30 to 5.30, it's a good time when people are driving home from work or getting out. And so I feel like I can use the hip-hop and, you know, give everybody a little boost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can serve the 
community. Yes, exactly. And that's what you're in it for, which is beautiful. Yeah. I really, I really respect that motive, my man. Because most man. of the people, especially uh, in the music industry, they got their talons in. They're sinking them in. All right, they're yeah. looking for something. It's usually not the case that they're in it for the genuine. Uh, like for me, I have always been this way. I just want. I always say this quote, but it's something I live by. Uh, it's something I wrote back in high school. A match to a spark to inspire. I want to see you start a fire. Nice. That's the way I look at these things, man. Yeah. I'm only doing what I'm doing so other people will see it and do something even better. Yeah. And that's, I think, when you go out there and you push local music uh, to the right people, to the people who might not have heard it otherwise, uh, you're allowing for an organic fire to start you're, you're being a fire starter you're being an anarchist an arsonist is the word i'm looking for nice. you're starting fires out there on the radio <laughs> station in a good way in a beautiful way yeah um this oh yeah, yeah, yeah this one mc breed day mc oh, yeah. breed day what is that mc breed day right after the legendary flint rap artist mc breed passed away uh, i believe it was 2008 i started uh that year i started doing a yearly show commemorating and kind of paying homage to him, to his life and his music, where I play two full hours of all MC Breed's music. Okay. And it's, so it's been going on now for 14 years, and it's a great tradition. It's probably one of my most uh, highly listened to shows, and uh, it's great, man. MC Breed was a huge inspiration to me. To me, he's the cat, the true king of Flint hip-hop that put all of us on the map, who paved the way for every single guy in this area. If somebody from the Flint area says differently, they're lying. Because <laughs> Breed is the king of Flint hip-hop, and uh, we owe it all to him. He was just the first cat to really get out there and just make the name and get a hit song. I mean, there was other cats doing it before him in the Flint area, and other cats in Detroit doing it, but he was the one to get that hit song, No Future in Your Front, and where when I first heard it, I didn't even know he's from Flint. I'm just like, this shit's dope. Then I found out he's from Flint. I'm like, oh, this guy's from the same area? off the hook so just being inspired by breed and i mean he did tons of work he collaborated with tupac and the doc and too short and eric sermon a bunch of hip-hop legends he really made his mark and so i wanted to show my respect and i wanted to pay homage to him every year and make sure his music and his legacy stays in rotation because i'll tell you what all these same local radio stations that frustrated me not playing my shit don't play mc breed either mm -hmm. and to this day they still don't play mc breed if you can believe it which is complete bullshit. Yeah. But at my radio show, probably every week you'll hear MC Breed, and then every December, around December 13th, to commemorate the passing of MC Breed, you'll hear MC Breed Day, two full hours of nothing but Breed's music. And uh, speaking of that, too, there's also a documentary I was in that got filmed uh, about a year ago called Bootleg and, or Breed and Bootleg, Legends of, rap, uh, Legends of Flint Rap, which is a documentary shot by my girl, uh, Jerry, which is basically just all about, it's a documentary about Breed's life and bootleg from the Dayton family's life and their friendship and their collaborations. And it's a dope documentary. So far it's just been doing like the film circuit, but hopefully as soon it'll be available like, you know, on Netflix or streaming or whatever. And so be on the lookout for that. It's a real dope documentary. I'm very happy to be a part of it. Okay. Okay. Breed and Bootleg. Breed and Bootleg. It's <laughs> yeah. a great name, too. It's got a ring to it. Yeah, I thought so, too. Did, did she just, like, approach you to interview you for the... Yeah, actually, through my friend Farline Randall, she had interviewed him, and uh, she, she, he uh, introduced me to her, and she was introduced to talking to me because of MC Breed Day, actually. That was kind of how I got involved with the documentary. But originally, the concept was for it to be just about Flint hip-hop in general. 
Okay. So I went down there, did my interview, and I know pretty much all my Flint hip hop history. So I talked about everybody. I talked about my history, Dayton family's history, MC Breed, Faux Deep, I mean, Top Authority, Project Born, everybody from this area. And then at the last minute, they decided to change the concept to just have it be focused on Breed and Bootleg of Dayton family. And so luckily, I talked so much about those guys, I ended up being the documentary a lot still. Yeah. So it worked out, but uh, like a lot of other Flint artists, I think they got interviewed for the documentary didn't make it in there because of when they changed the concept. But luckily, I'm still in there, <laughs> and it turned out dope. Because you are a Flint hip hop yeah. history Looks professional. Like I about everybody, <laughs> hip hop historian right here. Yeah. Uh, and so all those other people you mentioned that just happens to be, I guess, just window dressing now. It's a bunch of extra. Yeah. It's a little bit of extra, and and. Your wealth of knowledge when it comes to Flint hip-hop must be extensive. Now, is this just because you grew up with all this hip-hop? Were you just kind of keeping tabs throughout the years? Or yeah, it was what, like, I, why do you think you know so much about Flint hip-hop? Yeah, I think it's because I love the scene and I wanted to be a part of it as a young kid. I mean, growing up, I'd go to Wider Records over on Corona Road, and I would literally walk in there and be like, who do you have local? I want to hear what everybody's sounding like local. And I would just buy local people's tapes. And from doing that for years, I would find ones that I loved and I would appreciate them and uh, it just kind of became a passion and, and a hobby and a love of mine to kind of keep tabs on all these Flint hip hop artists and keep you know tabs on the history and then once I got a little older and started making my own music with the Chaotic Prophets and Juggernaut and became involved in the scene then it was just like no holds barred this is my place to be you know what I mean this is my home and it just from networking doing shows collaborating with other cats meeting cats the history all just fell in my lap and you know doing the radio show and incorporating the history it all just you know worked out perfectly like it was organically meant to be yeah <laughs> yeah and and so it is a cumulative thing yeah, it all just kind of adds up over time yeah, and then it, it sure just did. came in handy at the perfect moment yeah it really did <laughs> and so when you're picking songs for like stuff to play do you often find that you're reaching in your brain, or is it all just kind of stuff that you got sitting to the side? Like, oh, you know what would be good for today? We play a little bit of this, play a little bit of this. Like, how, how would you say, um, oh, I got, I'm trying to find a good way to ask that. It's like you, you got a lot of Flint hip-hop in your brain, basically. Oh, yeah. I imagine a lot of the time you'd be drawing from a certain little group. Like, a lot of the time when you see people playing Flint hip-hop, they're really only going to be playing the basics, like Dayton Family yep. and then a couple others. Whereas somebody like you, are you trying to draw from like a couple more obscure things that yes. people might not have heard? Definitely. You know, I might bring them in with the Dayton Family or Eshan or MC Breed, these more well-known names, but I'm going to slide in Overdose. I'm going to slide in Faux Deep, uh, Alien Planet, The Juggernaut, you know, Sons of the Empire. Yeah, I'm definitely about exposing the unsung heroes of Flint Hip Hop. Because these are cats that were doing it, you know, they were doing shows, they were recording, dropping tapes before a lot of these new generations were even around, you know, these are the cats that literally paved the way and kept things going, kept the interest going, and if they weren't dope and they didn't do their job, none of this might even be going on now, you yeah. know, so I definitely, you know, I appreciated that, and uh, when I play a show, I often go for themes like... Maybe I'll do a gangster block where it'll be like Dayton Family, Project Born, Top Authority, Jake the Flake. And then maybe I'll do like, uh, you know, the more conscious artists out of the area. Well Fed, Theory, Neil Greel, Aslan Mahdi, John Connor, cats that are more, you know, political and stuff. And so I often will go for themes like that. And then 
I'll also focus on areas. Today I'll do like a, a Detroit black or a Pontiac black or a Traverse City, Michigan black. Or, you know, I got love for all these Michigan hip hop cats and there's a lot of dope ones out there. And between the Flint history and the Michigan history, it's like I can literally just sit there and freestyle my show right off the brain. Yeah, you could probably just go for 24 hours yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah, just keep coming. Like when I first did MC Breed Day, wasn't planned at all, and I didn't even know if I had two hours of material. Really? And it's like, I remember getting down to like the last song, and I played a remix of one of the songs. <laughs> it's like, I just made it. I remember my man DJ Psycho was there, and he's like, man, you just made it. And it's like, but that was like the knowledge. I knew I had enough, so it's like, I can just do it. You did have to reach for that last one. I did have to reach one. for that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. And then I guess, too, uh, since you have this wealth of knowledge, who are, uh, you just listed some, who are some of these unsung heroes of Flint hip-hop? Who are some people that you would highly recommend people go check out if, you know, some people that just ain't getting the love they deserve? Okay, cats definitely like Overdose, uh, Alien Planet, um, Aslan Mahdi, Well-Fed, Josie Wales, uh, Horsan J, uh, The Impeccable Boy Wonder, Lab Cult, um... A lot of dope cats like that. Uh, MC Theory, probably my favorite female artist out of the area, real dope artist. Uh, Mama Soul's real dope. Uh, Mr. Funk Root, who was in the group Alien Planet, one of my favorite MCs, uh, real dope cat. I think dope he, name. Yeah, Mr. Funk Root definitely deserves some more props. And of course, there's like Foe Deep and uh, Poe Broke Souls. DOA was real dope. They're kind of famous for having a beef with Dayton family, but they were dope in their own right. Uh, a lot of dope cats like that. Salid, uh, my man Banktown. Uh, trying to think. Uh, I think I named most of my favorite cats. But uh, yeah, there's tons of, there's a wealth of dope artists out there. My man Mexican Mac, aka Tony Stone, Lost <laughs> Cause. Uh, there's a lot of dope artists that cats need to know about. BOS. I mean, I could go on and on. You know, there's tons of tons of artists that that I feel like that don't get the shine because, like you said earlier, it's usually just. Dayton Family, MC Breed, Top Authority, that's it. Yeah. And it's like there's all these other cats that definitely deserve Shine too, man, because they were dope and they were doing it. Are they still doing it? A lot of these Some people? of them are, some of them aren't. You know, some of them are retired, some of them have reinvented themselves and keep going. And, uh, you know, hats off to the ones that are keeping it going and big shots out to the cats that, you know, that, that retired too. They definitely made their mark and uh, they definitely deserve respect too. How would you describe the sound of Flint hip-hop? Because there's definitely a certain... Uh, there's a certain sound to it, and as someone who has listened to a wealth of it, would you say that there's a lot of uh, similarities between the, the different artists you see coming out of Flint? Is there a certain kind of vibe that you'll catch on to, or yeah. is it pretty different? Definitely growing up, I feel like now cats are kind of all over the place, but definitely growing up, the sound was pretty similar where I felt like in Michigan, we had a perfect situation where we had this grab bag of everything where we were influenced by the East Coast and the West Coast, mm. where we were taking these kind of funk sounds from George Clinton, like the West Coast was doing, and we'd use those, but we'd have like these hard-ass boom-bap drums from the East Coast. So it's like, I feel like in the Midwest, in Michigan, we kind of had soaked it all in and made that our sound. And I feel like that early Flint sound was very funk-inspired, very soul-inspired. And always had real hard hitting drums and a lot of energy, and I really like that. You like you listen to the MC Breed, No Future in Your Front, and or Dayton Family's Flint Town. It's like a lot of energy in those songs, and it's like real hype, man. And they weren't scared to have DJs scratching on it, and it's like I think that early Flint sound was really 
just like more hard and aggressive than most places, but still had like sample culture and the soul. And you know, we're right by Motown, right by Detroit, so that was an influence too of having mm. kind of a soulful sound in our in our music too. Yeah, yeah. So a mixture of soul and hard, like a hard beat. Yeah. Which honestly, I would say, I would say that has kind of carried a little bit over time. Yeah. I think that. You know, even though it's not the most popular sound, I would say that that is still something you see coming out of Flint because you get a lot of soul coming out of here. It's true. But you also get a lot of hardness. And so those two things combat. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things combine very well. They make something uh, real beautiful. It's like a butterfly with tattoos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so do you you still collect vinyl? We oh, know yeah. this. Yeah. 100% for sure. Definitely. Because you're making beats out of them. Yeah. So you have yeah. to be. Yep. But what are your, some of your favorite records that you have then? Some of my favorite records, uh, definitely one of my favorites is Henry Mancini's Police uh, Police Cop Show Themes. Real dope record I got. That's uh, a very random answer. Yeah, that's it's just a great record, man. Great samples in there? Good samples, and it's fun to listen to anyway. I had the cassette tape when I was a kid, so when I finally got the record, it was a big deal. But what and does it sound like? It's just like some police TV show themes and shit like that. They just turn it on, bad boys, it's to do. <laughs> kind of, but like even older, like I'm talking about like 50s and 60s themes and shit, so it's some pretty cool stuff, pretty funky. And then like, uh, you know, of course I love my classic records like my Tribe Called Quest records, their first album is really important to me. BC Boys, Licensed Ill, Paul's Boutique, I like a lot. I got L Cool J's, Walk With The Panther, I'm Bad. Uh, Run DMC's Tougher Than Leather. A lot of those old records I got are just really, you know, in my heart. You know, that's the stuff I grew up loving that inspired me big time. Are so they I'm, the same copies that you had back then? Um, you hang on to them? Yes. Yeah, most are the original copies, except some have gotten beaten up over the years. Ooh. So I have bought newer, remastered, whatever, reissues or whatever. Yeah. But I still have my OG beat-up versions, too. <laughs> <laughs> you just put them on, you get a couple scratches yeah. in there. Well, who cares? First, one of the first records I bought, though, was uh, Old Dirty Bastard's uh, debut album, Return to the 36 Chambers. Was that the very first? That was uh, definitely one of the first. I remember buying it in Wyatt Earps when I first got a turntable and shit. And so I think that was around, like, 95 when I really started getting into collecting more vinyl. And you go home and you, you put it on the vinyl and you, you remember that? You remember going home, oh, putting, yeah. laying it down and listening to that first, you know, yeah. those first couple vinyl? And I imagine that must have been a, a gratifying experience because back then you didn't have, we didn't have CD players, right? It was right. pre-Walkman era. Yeah. So we got vinyl and that's what we got. Yeah, and vinyl is far superior to cassette tapes because you could like go right to a song and yep. you know what I mean? It's yep. like you didn't have to rewind or and sound quality. break in. Sound quality was better. Yeah, tapes always have that little hiss or whatever. The vinyl just sounds lovely. Even that little crisp look. Even today, yeah. vinyl sounds beautiful. I think so, too. I, I, Superior. There's a certain plug-in I use that emulates vinyl, and it does it beautifully. Oh, nice. I just, I can't resist. I use yeah. it on almost everything, just because that vinyl nice. sound is something... Mwah, it like is, man. You can't touch it. You can't even... Yeah. And even that, it's just emulating. It's not the real thing. Right. I, I desperately want to own a vinyl. So I should ask you then... Yep. Is there a certain, does it really matter if you have like a low quality turntable or is, is there a certain level of quality I should be looking for when buying something like that? Yeah, I mean, you don't want something too cheap. You want to definitely get like, uh, you know, a, a nicer brand for sound quality. But 
it doesn't have to be too expensive or too high-end because if you're just going to use it for sampling, you just need a clean signal to go in there. But once you want to be like a turntablist and start manipulating and scratching it, then you're going to want like a Technique 1200, one of these more expensive pieces. But that's a turntable that, we're talking about Yeah, now. yeah. If you're just wanting to get like a record player just to sample from, you can get something pretty low-end, simple, even something at like Walmart or something. As long as it has like a, a, a digital out, you're good. You know what Okay. I mean? It's like really just if you... If you want to, you know, get into turntablism and DJing with turntables is when the real expensive uh, record players come into play. Yeah, otherwise you're just breaking your shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You try doing all that scratching with a with a cheap one, you're gonna break it, <laughs> and it's gonna be sad. Yeah, it's gonna hurt. Uh, black vinyl. Yes. Black vinyl is our brand new. I, I got a copy right here. Yes, sir. I'll pop it on the camera for the people. All right, boom. Black yeah. vinyl. There it is. Black vinyl. What, what? For those listening at home, I am showing Gaza's black vinyl CD to the yeah. world. Yes. Yes. Now, black <laughs> vinyl, what am I holding in my hands right now? What is this? This is the new album, Black Vinyl. It's uh, 13 songs crafted in my heart and soul. I uh, did all the beats myself. Um, this is one of my per most personal records. I really talk about my life, kind of get into my struggles, my opinion about everything in life. And uh, also, I got some legends on this album. I actually had my first collaboration with the legendary Dayton family out of Flint, which was a huge deal to me. Uh, those guys were, you know, a big inspiration to me growing up. Flint Titans. Yes, the Flint Titans. That's the name of the track. And they, these guys just came aboard and killed the track with me. We made, really made a real dope Flint anthem. Uh, I got to send big shouts out to my man DJ Virus. He did scratches on nine of the songs, and he just absolutely killed it. One of the best uh, turntablists I've ever dealt with. This cat is just a professional. He'd come over these hour-long scratch-a-thon sessions, and he would just kill, like, four or five tracks at a time, man. It's amazing. Now, what does that entail? Like, are we talking we just have a regular track laid out, and he just comes in, and he's just flipping it up like yeah. that's it yeah basically i would uh play in the song ahead of time a rough mix which would be the beat a uh, rough mix of the beat and the vocals and so he could get the concept and get you know the timing and everything okay and then once we're in the studio i'll uh probably just play him just the instrumental version to warm up on and everything and then once he's ready to record i'll time it out to the exact section he's going to be in and then uh once he has you know the ideas of what sounds he's going to scratch and what vocal samples then just let him do his thing and you know as many times as he needs and my man virus almost always killed it on the first time and if he did go back and do it, it was on some just perfectionism shit <laughs> he wanted to be perfect i was like it's good dude and he wanted to go back and do it and uh so it was also a lot of vibing where we'd be in the studio and I'd just play the tracks and let them vibe to it and come up with ideas for uh, for sounds and, and samples. A lot of time that's something I like doing too, though. Even though I'm not laying the scratches, I'll come up with the vocal sounds that I want them to scratch yeah. you know, to go along with the theme of the song or whatever. So he did nine of the songs, and then uh, my man DJ Psycho and DJ Zach Carter out of Detroit, they each did two songs each uh, as far as their scratching. And then I also got uh, Project Born from Flint on a track. They did a real dope collab called Totally Insane. We did a music video for that one last Halloween. Turned out real dope. We uh, shot it in Flint, showing all the murals and all the dope painting that's been going on around there. And then also I got a posse cut called Deep Star Six with uh, my man uh, Philosophy Cole, Ill Tone, Josie Wales, Cyrus Grism, Aslan Madi. And then another track with Davey Devastator, who which actually is AKA D Madness, who is one of my partners from the Juggernaut. So we combined and did kind of a track, uh, throwing it back to our own style. But uh, out of the 13 songs, uh, I think only four of them have guests. Nine of them are solo songs. 
I talk about life. Uh, I talk about my frustrations with mumble rap. Yeah. I talk about, uh, you know, about everything, about frustrations with uh, the music industry, life in general, relationships. Uh, the song number one, the title track, Black Vinyl, is just about me wanting to get my music on vinyl, on record, about the struggle and, you know, the being creative and saving the money, being dedicated, you know. That's kind of how that came. And the entire concept of the album, Black Vinyl, is like a love letter to all the people out there that collect records, the DJs, the producers, the people that believe in real hip-hop, you know, because vinyl and sample culture is hip-hop. Like we were talking about earlier, that's what it... It came from. It didn't start off with some guy playing keyboard and drum machine. It started off with a DJ with no equipment but turntables, looping up a couple break beats and guys rapping over it. Yeah. That was the start. And it's like I'm staying true to that art form because that's what I fell in love with. You know, so I'm gonna keep doing what I fell in love with and making music for the masses to appeal to people or make money is not important to me. I'm about making music that I love and I want to hear. And that's what you're gonna hear on my album, Black Vinyl. Is just like classic boom bap, underground hip hop from the soul why black vinyl what is that uh, just because from? records you know what i'm saying they, they got colored vinyl now but growing up there wasn't colored vinyl it was, everything was black vinyl you know what i mean and that was the goal to have one of these black vinyl records with you know my name mean? on it yep and uh, the lyric from the the song i want every rap that i know pressed up on black vinyl ah <laughs> that's nice that's nice yeah hitting them with them triple syllable rhymes oh yeah beautiful 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 <laughs> Now, that production on that album was uh, pretty, it was almost like a grimy kind of sound that you're going for, it seemed oh, yeah. like. A lot more. And so, I wonder, is that normally your production style, or were you going for a certain sound with yeah. that album? That's pretty much my normal style, is digging into crates, getting my fingers dusty, and finding some obscure old sounds, and some of that's going to sound a little crispy and grimy, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I'm cool with that. That's what I like. I like uh, the more grimy sound. I'm not so much into the super polished, everything clean, you know? I like a little griminess in there, and... To me, that's just, I don't know, it appeals to me. Kind of like Wu-Tang Clan and some other cats like that where they just got that real grimy, just gutter sound. And it's like, I really like that. And uh, I did all the beats uh, myself, was sampling off old records. And then I took it to my man Farline, uh, Bangtown Productions, and I had him do the mixing and mastering where he really just boosted it all up. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, the signals might be a little lower when you're sampling off the records, but you can still get into like Pro Tools, whatever, with the new technology and then bring bring out the best of it. Yeah. And then uh, also, I also collaborated with some uh, live musicians on the album, too. I had a cat play a live bass on a few songs. Oh, no way. Yeah. I'm really into that. I so learned you just that bring him in too. and record a bass line? Yep, just basically uh, playing the track, kind of give him an idea of what I want the bass line to be, just kind of let him jam, and then I take whatever I want out of the jam session, and it worked out real nice. My man Sean Humphrey did the, the bass on it, so shouts out to him. And then uh, my man Justin Slattery played guitar and synth on one song, and my man Mike Case did the cover uh, photo, did a great job. So everyone really did a great job. I love the album. I'm very proud of it. Check it out now. <laughs> yeah, check it out now, folks. And that is a fact, all right? Where, now, where can we find this, then? If, if we can go check it out now, is it on all streaming services? All, all streaming services, stuff? yep. Just search Gaza, uh, Black Vinyl, G-O-Z-Z-Z-A. And uh, I also have my own website, bgaza, B-G-O-Z-Z-A dot com. You can also get it directly from me there. You get a hard copy CD. You can get a T-shirt, all that good stuff, right from the website. Yeah. Check out my other music as well. Be Gaza. Be Gaza. Yeah. And and also, I will ask you too, 
when you were coming up with a solo name, were there any other rap names we went through, or was it always the name? It was always the name. I started out as Brady G when I was a kid, and then it became B Gaza for a long time, and then I decided to lose the B and just became Gaza. Gaza is so much better than Brady G. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is, like, miles away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but and basically my last name is Gosser, so Gaza is just, like, a snazzier way of my last name. It's funny because, like... Brady G sounds like a 90s rap name. Totally. It really does. Yeah. Like, it fits the time it 100%. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't really change the name all that much. Right? We just moved over to the last name. Yeah, gave the, <laughs> gave the B a bump. bump. <laughs> and those one-word names nowadays are popping. Yes. They are, yeah. yeah Gaza pop. is a great one because Gaza, no one's ever going to steal that from you. Right. Yeah, like, Ruse, i got to get trademarked pretty quick here. i got to do it fast. Gaza, you got that. That's yours. Yep, that's true. Hmm. <laughs> I ran through all my questions. Do it, I, man. Normally, normally I do, you know, we've went for a good hour and a half. Yeah. We went for a good hour and a half. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to let you leave the people with a little message. Before we okay. close everything out, I think the best thing to do is to, you know, if you got anything to say to the kids at home, to okay. the people at home, what would you tell people who just tuned in and saw you today? What, what, what would you want them to take away from this? I would say to them, you know, express yourself and be true to yourself. Don't ever try to sound like the next man, you know. Originality, creativity is key. It's like even if people don't get your ideas or look at you funny at first, just keep, you know, keep stay on your path and, you know, stay yourself, stay original because in the long run, you'll make a mark that way, I feel like. You'll have more longevity. It's like don't be scared to get out of your house and go meet people and network. It's like so many people nowadays... I think have this impression that they can just make a song and Dr. Dre is going to call them and sign them or something. And it's like, it's not that way. You still need to get out there. The internet promotion is great. It's a tool. You got to do it. But it's also, you got to get out in the street, pass out a flyer, meet somebody, shake a hand, go to a show, throw your hands in the air. You know what I mean? It's like really get out there and network. Because to me, hip hop is about community and unity. And it's like, it's a, music is the answer to life where it can bring people together. You know, so many people are separated because of color, because of religion, because of uh, class and money and things like this. Music can bring us all together. It's like, that is the answer for peace and love in the world. And I wish more people could see that, you know, the positive things that, that music brings in life. And uh, that's my message I want to send out to everybody, you know. It's like, be kind to each other, spread music and love and art. You know, and embrace people's differences. If somebody's different than you, that's great. You know, learn about their story. That's the spice of life. You know, I want to hear about these other cultures and what goes on in their thing. If everything was just black and white and the same and everyone was the same and everyone liked the same stuff, it'd be a horrible, boring mess. And it's like, embrace these differences and, you know, go start a conversation with somebody that looks different than you. You know, it's like... And, and try to, to embrace the spice and the variety of life and see it for what it is, you know. That's, that'd be my message to send out to everybody. And, uh, peace and love. <laughs> Beautiful. Just do it, folks. Just yes. do it, okay? Don't wait for somebody to tell you to do it. Don't wait for permission. And yep. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, okay? Ye there's a million people out there who want to do what you want to do. Yep. It is very, very... Uh, essential that you take the step of just starting to do whatever that thing is because yes. it is a guarantee that if you don't do it you can forever live with the fact that you never even tried Good. and and that's just a hundred percent uh every shot not taken is a missed shot yes and also 
It's the case that you never know the butterfly effect of your actions. It could be the case that just by choosing to do that one step today, just by beginning to write that song, that's what's going to lead you down that road into whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. But you can't just will that into existence with one track and then Dr. Dre's on the phone. Right. That's what we all want, but that just ain't the way it no. happens. So it's about putting in that work. It's about allowing the monotony of life to catch up to you and ignoring that and continuing to push anyways. Because the game is that. The game is the constant grind, and it never goes away. And also, as he said... The universal, um, the universality that you can find within art is unique to art. And I think that that is something beautiful that if you are a creative individual, embrace that. Embrace your creativity. Embrace who you are and share that with other people and do it in an unfiltered way where you are being genuine because I promise you it'll be far more fulfilling than if you try to put on a facade and then people jam to that song. Be yourself. Yes. Pour yourself into your art and you will never fail. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, my friend, You're welcome, man. Mr. Gaza. It was a Appreciate pleasure it. having you. We will definitely be working on something here in the future cool. because I tell you, we are two cold-ass MCs. <laughs> yes, this world that. needs to hear us on Wax Together. Definitely. Let's definitely. Do that. And I'll have you back on the podcast sometime. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. I'll see you guys soon. Who's Radio clocking out.